The very nature of being a innovator is that you're constantly scared about being out innovated. Although Netflix feels like it has a strong position in video, what they pay attention to is what kids are doing. Hey everyone, I'm Mark Randolph and welcome to That Will Never Work. On this podcast, I speak with folks who are at every stage of building their own business, whether they're leaping from side hustle to self-employed or are already generating revenue and ready to level up. My goal is to draw out their biggest challenges and then, using a combination of advice, encouragement, and tough love, nudge them just a little closer to realizing their dreams. While I'm known for co-founding Netflix and serving as its first CEO, my career as an entrepreneur spans four decades. Netflix was actually my fifth startup, and since leaving there, I've had the opportunity to work with scores of early-stage companies and mentor aspiring entrepreneurs from all over the world. Along the way, I've picked up hundreds of tips, tricks, and secrets, which I'm eager to share with my listeners. Helping others move their ideas forward has become my life's passion. So if you've been told that will never work as much as I have, you've come to the right place. Together, we'll prove the naysayers wrong. Entrepreneurs are always talking about disruption, but disrupting the video industry was simple compared to the challenges people have trying to disrupt highly regulated businesses like banking or medicine. My guest today, David, is no stranger to tough things. He's an oncologist. And not much is harder than sitting down with a frightened patient to deliver bad news. But David is certain that the healthcare industry can do better. He has an idea for a whole new way for medical professionals to share crucial information with patients. A cloud-based platform where doctors can share content they create themselves. But as with many innovators, David needs to work against, but simultaneously within, the existing paradigm. And that's where I come in. What starts out as a conversation about how to get more doctors to participate turns into a brainstorm about some even bigger ideas. Check it out. Well, hi, David. Welcome to That Will Never Work. I'm actually really excited to be uh, having this conversation. I know that you're solving or trying to solve a problem that I think a lot of people have when they're kind of in these very, very difficult situations. So I'm really curious to learn more about how you're going about trying to solve that problem. So why don't we start there? Why don't you kind of quickly introduce yourself, but also tell us what is the problem you're trying to solve and what steps have you taken? Great. Sure. So thanks for having me, Mark. My name is David Groom, a radiation oncologist. I still practice medicine, but I've got the entrepreneur itch. And so the problem that I'm trying to solve is inefficient knowledge transfer between doctors and patients. So, Mark, as you know, the current paradigm for this is usually a single face-to-face verbal-only conversation. It's the same way it's been for thousands of years. But the problem is that it doesn't work particularly well for either side. On the patient side, knowledge retention isn't very good. Most studies show that about a week after you meet your doctor, most patients only remember about 20% of what they said. And on the doctor side, this current paradigm of mostly verbal only face-to-face encounters is repetitive and can lead to burnout. So I'm working on a solution that incorporates 
doctors building a library of digital versions of their very most common explanations that they can store and then share in a curated fashion with patients as needed. I think that's really kind of interesting because I know, especially for someone like yourself who's an oncologist, you're delivering mostly bad news and probably news just comes as a very big shock. This is going to sound trite, I suppose. But the closest thing that I can think of is when I've had a fire of somebody, not that it's as catastrophic as learning you have cancer, in the sense that when you deliver the news, as soon as you get those words out of your mouth, they don't hear anything else. All they're doing is flashing inwardly to, oh my God, how am I going to make the mortgage? Oh my God, what am I going to tell my wife? Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. The rest of the conversation goes nowhere. I've been fortunate enough that I've never had to sit into a conversation where someone's delivered medically bad news to me, but I can only imagine that retention. I would say 20% is probably on the high end. And I like the idea. So if I understand this correctly, basically you're going to build quick video explanations of some of the common things. But I imagine you're not going to basically just say, hey, uh, bad news, Mark, you have cancer. I'm giving you some videos to watch. I imagine it's a blended model. Is that how this is going to work? You got it. Yeah, we're not trying to replace the doctors with video robots. The idea really is to give a backstop for doctors and patients. Of course, we still have that magical moment where a doctor and a patient establish rapport. Trust is established. This is a core element of doctoring, and that's what brings every doctor into the field. That's what we're passionate about. The phenomenon you just described where patients zone out and can't really recall all of the details that they desperately want to recall is a problem. And for doctors, repeating it over and over is a problem. So we're trying to take that sort of repetitive element of that encounter, which isn't particularly human in nature, honestly. I think patients can sense when their doctor is rattling off a script that they say multiple times a day. 30 times a week, thousands of times in their career. Patients know that. They're no dummies. And so what we're trying to build is every doctor develops their own video asset library and they conduct themselves in their clinic as they would. But instead of going deep down the rabbit hole of a robotic explanation, they say, I'm going to send you right now a short little packet of videos that are going to go through in much more detail what I'm going to tell you in a high level right now. So I've started doing this in my practice. It's been very well received by my patients. I think it's an interesting and different way to give patients a digital memento that they can refer back to on demand, asynchronous from the in-person encounter. Do you also send them a recording of the full conversation? I don't. And that is for a few reasons. The biggest reason is that presents a whole slew of problems in terms of regulatory issues because we're capturing a whole bunch of personal health information that would then be stored and distributed around between the servers and the patients. That adds a level of complexity that I'm trying to avoid in terms of compliance with HIPAA. It's really interesting. I'll jump back to that in a minute because, boy, I do have some thoughts about that. Tell me about these aspirations to do something entrepreneurial. Yeah. When I went to college, I had initially applied to be in the business school, and that's where I was going to go. But 
I did some deep thinking and some conversations with my mom, who's been very influential in my life. And she talked to me into, hey, you've always talked about going to med school. If you're going to do that, might as well start with the studies now so you don't have to backtrack. So I switched and became pre-med. But I always had this entrepreneurial, innovative bug. And all throughout pre-med, med school, even residency, I was constantly tinkering with ideas. This is a little twist, a little way we could do this better, do that better, but just never really had the time, space, or independence to really do it. Now I'm six years into private practice. I have very busy practice, so I'm getting a ton of reps in, dealing with my own patients, and I'm passionate about patient education. So just iterating through running a clinic efficiently and optimizing the knowledge transfer process, I arrived at this idea. There was a big aha moment, Mark, where I typically draw illustrations for patients just with pen and paper on the exam room table. And some patients, they'd leave, go to make their next appointment. And one day the secretary yelled down the hall to me, hey, Picasso, that patient was about to leave and she wants your drawing. I had this idea. Well, I asked her, why do you want it? And she said, well, I'm going to go home. I got to explain this to my family. They're going to ask me what you said. And I think the drawing will help. So the light bulb went off and I said, you know, maybe it's time to kind of take this to the next level and begin to digitize these so I can truly scale this knowledge transfer process so that if the patient receives a digital version of my explanation, they can go and send that around to the entire family email list and they can all consume it so that everybody is circled and close to be involved in that patient's care. Wow. I can just see how valuable that would be. My father had a brain tumor. And I remember when we found this out, there was this insatiable need to understand. And there just was not a lot of good places to get unbiased, impartial information. And almost no guidance from the doctors in saying, here is where to go to understand better what's going on. So you're keying on a very important thing that I've learned from my patients is that information is abundant on the internet, but my patients struggle with two things, Mark. They have trouble finding things on the internet that are applicable to them, and number two, that it's credible. What I'm trying to build is a solution that solves both of those problems for the patient. We assume they find the doctor sitting across from them to be credible. We hope they do. But... In addition to that, by definition, if the doctor curated this particular video that they themselves created and sent it to the patient, then it is applicable to them. My doctor chose it and sent it to me. So that's where I think the real value is on the patient side. You mentioned that you were already trialing this with some patients. How far along are you on your idea? Have you launched this? Is it productized yet? Where are you on the process? Yes. I started with a very jury-rigged system. So I created the videos, made about 35 videos of my most common explanations with a kind of a digital whiteboard, clean, easy look that's mimics, but in digital form, what I would draw on the paper in the exam room. So I created this library for me, for my patients, put them all on YouTube, and then I would just simply email the patients a link. But I ran into all kinds of issues, trolly comments on the YouTube videos from quack cures and other kind of weird 
sex stuff coming in through the breast cancer videos, all kinds of things that were really inappropriate and confusing for my patients. So it's like, okay, the YouTube email thing is not working great. But I was getting enough signal from the patients that they were really enjoying it and found value in it. So I decided to go all in, go to the next level. And I hired a firm that does software development to build a web application that provides a cloud-based platform built on AWS that can basically do all the cloud computing to build a library for my videos and then send secure email links to my patients. And the patient's email is protected health information, so it has to be encrypted. That's basically saved and stored encrypted in the database. So that's where we are now. I launched it to a small number of customers in September, and we have some paying customers now who are doctors using the platform. This sounds fantastic. I'm glad to see that it's actually underway. So before I weigh in on something random, is there anything specific you'd like to uh, bounce off me? Anything specific you want to ask about? Sure. There's a few things. <laughs> but one thing that I'm kind of wrestling with right now is I'm learning from interviews with the doctor users that are onboarding that they're a little bashful and insecure about creating content that they feel confident sharing with their patients. So I'm just curious if you have any ideas, anything off the wall ideas about how to iterate this product to inspire some confidence in them. There's a couple things I've tried, but I'm just curious what you would come up with. Oh, so interesting. So people can't send out your videos because that breaks the perhaps confidence they have in their own care provider. Well, yeah. The idea is that what I'm learning from doctor interviews is that Every doctor has their own oh. way of explaining it that kind of has their own little twist. And the other thing is the way that I draw it on the exam table paper, I'm, I'm not the only Picasso out there. Almost every doctor I've interviewed says, oh yeah, I always supplement my explanation with some kind of a drawing on pen and paper. And so I learned very early on that my stuff isn't the magic sauce that's gonna work for every doctor and every patient. I wouldn't be foolish enough to think that. But what really we want to do is build the platform so that any doctor can create their own digital content, store it, and then securely send it. So it's interesting. In other words, the model here is building the platform. Okay, this could go two ways. One is, of course, you focus your initial efforts on non-bashful doctors. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds like a ridiculous answer, but it's not a ridiculous answer at all that there's so many challenges in getting anything off the ground. So many things that are difficult. In other words, not only are they going to be bashful, but your user interface is not going to be very well developed. It's going to take six steps to store and categorize and keyword all these things, as opposed to what it will be eventually in two or three years, where it's just one click or where you use AI to quickly categorize and keyword all this. Right now, everything is going to be way harder than it needs to be. And it should be like that. You shouldn't be putting finesse into things until you really understand what are the key features, what are the things that are important. So when I say if people are too bashful, you have to separate that problem in your head and you have to go, is that because all doctors are bashful? Am I this huge outlier where I'm comfortable doing this? Or 
do you have to begin as you position this is say it's not for everybody. It's for someone who is in the habit of liking to explain to people what's going on and doesn't mind doing it to a camera. And you don't, can't say it in such a long form way. But basically, you begin to say, my market is someone who's willing to overlook all these difficulties because what I'm delivering is so valuable, they're willing to overlook That's this. That's so interesting. One way of doing that is you very explicitly have to find the target market which wants it really badly, even though that market might be flawed in other ways. That's one way to do it, is to segment your audience that overcomes the problem. The second thing to do is hand-holding. I have another company which is developing, this is not my company, but I'm good friends with the founder. We talk a bunch, but he has a product which basically is doing avatar-based chat. And he has the ability to build a very, very personal avatar. It looks just like you. You can use that as a proxy for being on FaceTime or Zoom or whatever you want. Now, Having a customer create their own is really complicated. It's one of those multiple camera angles. The lighting has to be perfect. And very, very few people who are the target users can do that. And so they're setting up studios. They're saying, we're going to do this at a loss. We need to get people to develop these super selfies, as they call them. And if we have to hold their hands to do it, we will. Your model could be, let me interview you. Not you, maybe it's you, but you have someone who interviews these people and basically pretends to be the uh, patient and that sits down and says, okay, Dr. Grew, tell me about this. In other words, does something to help someone overcome that feeling of, oh my God, I've got to stare at the camera and figure out something to say. That's a hard thing to do. It's less hard when you're talking to someone and explaining it That's to them. That's really interesting. Yeah, And you might even figure out a way to do that remotely which is you basically walk someone through that via Zoom. You have to figure out how to do that technically, but there could be a bunch of ways to solve those problems. I'm more inclined to do the first because you don't want to distract you. But if you really say no, one of the big flaws in my idea is that everyone's shy. Everyone loves it, but no one wants to create their own videos. Hmm, makes sense, yeah. So another question that I have is, I have two main assumptions here. Healthcare delivery will trend towards more digital and not less. I think that's probably reasonable. But the second generation dovetails off what we just discussed and is that the rising generation of providers will be natural content creators. So I'm just sort of curious, given those assumptions, what signals would you look for with this kind of a project as signals that are positive feedback to push forward versus on the flip side of that, why do you think something like this wouldn't work? Is it the incumbents are too strong, the healthcare system, hospital systems are corporate and they would be against this kind of an idea, the regulatory constraints? I'm just sort of curious what you would say about either one of those things. I'll start with one of the first things you mentioned, and I'll use a Netflix reference, which I don't do too often or try not to do too often. But Netflix obviously is deeply concerned about what is the future of digital content delivery. It's the very nature of being a innovator is that you're constantly scared about being out-innovated. Am I being complacent? Now something's going to come out of left field. And although Netflix feels like it has a strong position in video, they're dependent on people continuing to be entertained by video. They're really competing for ways that people spend their time. This is a long story is actually going someplace, which is that what they pay attention to is what kids are doing. Because even though their primary market isn't kids, 
all those kids are going to be adults and all those adults are going to be the ones who subscribe to whatever the future service looks like. And they want to see is the amount of time kids are watching video declining and what are they replacing it with? To what degree is it games? To what degree is it AI? To what degree is it VR? They pay a lot of attention to that. And so the proxy for you is you hit it on the head, which is that young doctors, future doctors even, are where this is going to go. And if you draw a curve or if you graph out what's the likelihood that someone's going to adopt this technique on one axis and age on the other, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a nice straight line. <laughs> so don't try and beat a dead horse. You're right. People coming out of med school are already digitally fluent. They're already accustomed to doing content creation. They're already accustomed to communicating with people with empathy and compassion remotely. They're learning. They know those things. They're not alien to them. And those are the people for whom you present a tool to do something that they're already inclined to do. I will mention, of course, the fears, but I wouldn't be too scared of it. There are certain highly regulated industries, and you are right in the heart of one of the most highly regulated industries. What happens there is that essentially innovation is greatly held back. And a lot of the things that are made difficult are things that customers want. And eventually that pressure builds and builds and builds and builds. And that leads to the erosion or the ultimate collapse of some of the regulations that were being put in place. And we're seeing it in fintech. In that case, in many ways, there's a whole end run by the evolution of blockchain currency. But you're seeing it in lots of other ways where people are nibbling at the edges and they're eating away at the things which the big banks and the regulated industries were complacent about defending. And I think it's inevitable that at some point it's going to begin happening in medicine as people get more and more comfortable that they can ensure the ultimate objectives of HIPAA, which of course is patient confidentiality, but that that can in fact live side by side with technological advances. And being in a position where you can be at the front of that wave, I think is better than being at the end of it. You just have to dance your way around it. And it sounds like you're kind of developing a way to do that. Thank you. One last little comment for you is that I purposely started our conversation by asking you what was the problem that you were trying to solve. And so perhaps my biggest advice to you is to never lose sight of that. It's really easy when you get excited about something you're doing to have a solution and then it goes in search of a problem. Make sure you're always recognizing that what you're trying to do is help people absorb and retain information about their situation in a stressful and difficult time. It may means you have to begin migrating away from the platform you've built to other things. You may have to figure out other methodologies. Just don't get too bought into defending model, which ends up having to twist and turn so greatly to follow HIPAA guidelines that it no longer really is doing any good for anybody. Makes sense. A big question on my mind right now is some have advised me to follow the market and there's been med tech startups that have engaged me to try and license some of my personal content, the videos that I made, which is sort of a divergence from the platform that I'm building to democratize what I'm doing for my patients and be able to spread it to any doctor and enable them to do what I'm doing. So there's opportunities and potentially lucrative ones that are divergent from the vision of a 
platform that is for everybody. I'm just sort of curious, because I'm relatively new to this, the extent to which, like, what's your personal philosophy as far as staying with your true north on solving that problem versus letting the market steer you towards these customers that are actually approaching you with a real need that they have, but it's going to come with an opportunity cost that will make you less effective in achieving the initial goal and vision. So it would be really disingenuous of me to say it's an easy call. It's not because it's going to be some percentage of some versus some percentage of the other. And you have to kind of figure out where it goes. Generally, I would stay true to your vision because the market can certainly lead you into areas which are not the problem you're trying to solve or that you think needs to be solved. That said, there's a market force. And the win here is if you can figure out a way to harness that to actually help drive your ultimate idea at the same time. And even as you were saying it, two things popped into my head. The first one is you mentioned that your vision was that doctors should be creating their own content because everyone described something different. But you also said that a lot of doctors don't have the comfort or whatever they're lacking to feel they want to create their own content. So maybe we go take the exact same answer I gave you there, but push it to the other side. Maybe you focus on doctors who it's more important for them to solve the problem for their patients than it is for them to create their own content. In other words, that you build a library and it becomes a library of best of. And listen, at first, all 35 of them are going to be yours. But yes, yeah, some people are going to be creating their own. And eventually you're going to, through a crowdsourcing technique and through a collaborative filtering mechanism, begin to figure out what are the best ways to describe this problem. Or you can imagine a library not created by all in the future. All thousand doctors are using your platform to communicate with their patients. They're using content created by 20 doctors. And occasionally... When there's a condition for which nothing exists, it's very easy for them to turn to the camera, hit record, do a specialized one, and add that. But in other words, what your platform does is not necessarily focus on allowing them to create the content. Because don't forget, the main point is that you are able to give information to the clients, to the patients. And it could be as simple as that the tool is one that says, I can now build a palette of great content that I can vouch for as being, I forget the words you use, authoritative and credible or whatever they were. Applicable and credible. Yeah. And maybe they don't need to be all from the specific doctors passing it out. Maybe the power of the platform is that you begin to have this library of content. So in other words, what people are saying to you when they say follow the market is they go, this content is really great. We should be popping it onto YouTube or whatever the <laughs> case may be. But no. You don't want to throw it away. You don't want to use it in a way that you've already discovered is not necessarily the right place for your content. But maybe you back off on the idea that a platform is for creating your own. No, no for going back to solving the problem. Mm -hmm. And the problem is people being able to get information that's credible, retain information that's credible, circulate to their friends, family, and loved ones information that's credible. And if that means that you bump into the problem that not everyone wants to create their own, and in fact, not everyone does a very good job at it, and in fact, that as they're making this assessment, they go, having amazing content from Dr. Gru, who's not my doctor, is better than mediocre to poor content from the person who is my doctor. Interesting. 
Yeah. And it could even be a part of the business model too, which is that there's a rev share to the actual content creator. But I think that is not the point here. The point is you want other doctors to subscribe to this platform. I can imagine they sit down collaborate with their patient and go, listen, let me build a quick library for you. If I think some things will be really helpful in explaining what's going sure. on here. And then you'll go home. We're going to email you the secure links so that you have access to these. I mean, I can see that. And I don't necessarily think that it's a critical component of the beauty of your idea that it has to be the doctor themselves who is the one who appears right. in the videos. Right. Interesting. That's so helpful. I really appreciate that insight. I think what you're doing now is fantastic, which is you're bumping it against real mm -hmm. people. It'd be an interesting experiment to see how it worked for someone else to quote unquote prescribe your videos. Yeah. God, it's a million directions you could go with this. It's right. kind of exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. It's fun. And it's creating real value for patients and doctors. So that's kind of what keeps me going. Is your mom still with us? <laughs> she is. Yeah. She's got all four of my little girls over at her house right now because I can't have them running around downstairs while you and I are chatting. If you need me to call her up and make her more comfortable that you're actually stepping into entrepreneurship, I'm always happy to, uh, <laughs> to talk her off the ledge. I would appreciate that. She would like that too, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, the other thing I'm going to ask of your mom is that at some point in the future, maybe six months from now, that she again takes your kids so that we can get back on the phone and do a quick follow-up. I'm really curious to hear where this goes. I think you are solving a problem, which I think will benefit a huge number of people. So I'm rooting for you. I really appreciate it, Mark. That's great. All right. Well, good luck, David. Thanks for the time today. Thank you. Great chatting. The problem that David's trying to solve is undeniably important. And there are so many directions that David's platform can go in. In particular, he has to identify what's disposable, like having doctors make their own content, and what's essential like giving patients more access to good information. But David clearly knows his problem well. And once you clearly know where you're headed, figuring out the way there is much simpler. I hope that the next time we speak, David will be closer to making that goal a reality. Well, that's all for today. And thanks to my guests for entrusting their business to me for a little while. I look forward to hearing back from them in a few months to see if my advice helped. In the meantime, if you want to be a guest on That Will Never Work, I've made it really easy. Just go to markrandolph.com forward slash guest, fill out the form, and leave a voice message right there on the site. While you're there, sign up to get my weekly entrepreneurial advice delivered right to your inbox. Or connect with me on Twitter at mbrandolph or on Instagram at that will never work. Or my newest attempt at denying my age on TikTok, where I promise you won't ever find me dancing without a shirt on. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to smash that like button and leave me a review at Apple Podcasts. I'll see you next time. Audiation.